open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. Invite you again uh, to come out Wednesday night for our uh, Wednesday night uh, family fun night. We'll be uh, grilling out and then uh, participating in Amazing Race. It'll be a good time of fellowship for all of us. This morning we're going to continue our series on the Rejoicing Church, a church which keeps Jesus Christ centered in their mind and who has a heart for the gospel. That being said, let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 1 beginning in 18b. If you have a New International Version or an English Standard Version, I think that's the beginning of a new paragraph for you. Philippians 1 beginning in 18b. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, once again we come together to gather, look at your word. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit we would see wonderful truths that you have for us in this portion of your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When my son Scott was just in kindergarten, he did what a lot of little boys do, and he joined the t-ball team, and I was one of the assistant coaches, and we had our first few practices, and everything looked uh, really good. Scott was one of the fastest kids on the team, and uh, everything looked exciting for the season. We got to our first game, and I was coaching third base, and Scott came up to bat, and the bases were loaded, and he hit a, a ground ball to, uh, to the second baseman, and as things would happen in, in T-ball, it went right through the second baseman's legs, and, and the right fielder came running in, and it went right between his legs, and, and so I'm coaching third, and I'm having the, 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 the boy on, fir- on third uh, to score, and I bring the, the boy on second around to, to score, and then bring the boy on first around to score, and I'm looking up to, to see where Scott is at this point, and he's just now arriving at first base. 
I'm thinking, well, that's odd. He must have fallen or, or something. Uh, so the next time Scott came up, he, he hit a ball uh, to the shortstop, uh, who would do what any shortstop would do in T-ball. He threw it right back to the pitcher. Uh, and the pitcher, knowing what to do, threw it to the first baseman, but he didn't know how to catch, uh, which is a problem when you play first base. And, 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 uh, but he, he was able to stop the ball, and he picked it up, and, and I looked up, and, and Scott was sort of shuffling up the first base line, and he was only about halfway to first base at this point. And, and so I, I said, well, I'm not going to worry too much about, about that, and we'll talk about it the next practice. So at the next practice, I told Scott, I said, now, when you hit that ball, you need to run fast. Yes, sir, I got it, I got it. We practiced, he'd hit the ball, and he'd run fast. Saturday came, it's time for our next, next game, and uh, Scott uh, hit the ball again to, to the shortstop, and, and he started shuffling up the first baseline again. Uh, like, like, a, like we'd think of an old man shuffling across the, the, the floor, just kind of doing this up the first baseline. And, and so I, I sat down with him in the dugout, and I said, Scott, I, I don't understand why is it in practice you hit the ball and you run so fast, but in the games when you hit the ball, you just kind of shuffle up the baseline? What's, what's going on? And, and he said, well, Daddy, in games, we have to wear these helmets. And when I hit the ball, the helmet comes down over my eyes, and I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> so I look down to find the first baseline, and I know if I stay on that the whole time, I'll get to first base. <laughs> well, being able to see things properly is very important in life. And, and, and as we uh, go through life, the only way we can properly see things is with the help of the gospel. It's been a very interesting week since we were together last Sunday. Our governor has uh, admitted that he's committed adultery. We've had several famous people die. The most famous, of course, is uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, we've had uh, countries, Iran and North Korea, make some incredibly irresponsible comments and actions. And the results of sin are splashed across the headline of every newspaper across the country. And the only way to make sense of it is through the lens of the gospel. It's the only way we can see things the way that they're supposed to be seen. In the gospel, we have the power to fight temptation when it's raging inside of us. In the gospel, we have peace so that when death comes for us, we can be ready. And it's only through the gospel that we're going to see peace throughout the world. You know, the gospel is the hope for all of us, no matter what it is that we're going through in our lives. So Paul's words for us this morning are, are particularly useful as we consider the events of the past week, as we think about the circumstances of our own lives. So that's being said, let's go to our text and see what Paul has to say. We, we finished through 19 last week, so let's pick up at verse 20 here where Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And we've talked about that Paul was in prison at this time of this writing. And here he, he's talking about that he is 
uh, soon going to be on trial. And, and he understands that if he does not see things clearly, that is, if he does not see things in light of the gospel, that he will be tempted to deny Christ and be a, a poor witness for his Savior. That being said, though, he, he, he does have a mindset that's focused on the gospel. So, he, so he, he's, he's confident that it's going to work out. He, his desire is to be courageous. Paul knows but we all know. That's, we have a tendency to be fearful of the unknown. And we have a tendency to be fearful of the things that we don't see clearly. And the gospel particularly helps us with our fears. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been fearful? Have you ever been afraid about something about your family? Or maybe your finances? Have you ever been afraid about your health? Or maybe a, a job situation? Or a school situation? Ever been afraid that maybe a friend is betraying your trust in them? As a parent, you ever had a child that's in a situation where you can't really help them? That can be really scary as a parent. You ever been afraid that no one really loves you? What Paul knows and what I want you to know is that no matter what your fears might be, we have a reason to trust Jesus. For we know that Jesus has already taken care of the biggest problem we're ever going to face in life. He has reconciled sinful people to a holy God. And since Christ has taken care of that, we know that he's going to take care of us no matter what it is we're going through. You know, God does not always take away everything that might cause us to fear. But he does give us a reason to trust him. You know, when we remove the batting helmet of fear from over our eyes, you know, that's when we can sprint with confidence through life that God loves us. He's going to take care of us, no matter what our current circumstances or fears might be. You know, one fear that, that many people have is the fear of dying. And Paul takes that fear head on here in our passage this morning. And, and as believers in Christ, he gives us a great idea of how we should think about dying. Look, look with me again in verse 21. For to, me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now here we sort of have Paul's motto, to live is Christ... And to die is gain. You know, Paul sees this 
as a win-win situation, no matter what's going to come out of this trial that he's going to go through. If, if, if God chooses to spare him, he's going to be able to continue to minister to the people that, that, that God has put in front of him. And, and he sees that as, as a wonderful thing, that he can continue to serve Christ here on earth. But he also says, if it's the Lord's will that I'm going to end up being executed, that's fine. Because I still win, because then I get to be with Christ in a way that I've never experienced before, in a, in a more full relationship than what he's ever had before. So I want us to look at what it means to, to live in Christ uh, and what it means to die is gain. First, let's look at what it means to, to live in Christ. The first thing I want you to, to understand here is that Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That, that's not just a, a flippant statement that, that Paul is making. Paul is using this as one of the most powerful statements that, that, that he's going to make throughout all of his writings. This is Paul's testimony that everything that he does in this life is for Jesus Christ and for his glory. And he's going to live his life in such a way that Christ is exalted day by day, no matter what it is that he's going through. And that should be a tremendous encouragement and challenge to us that as we live our lives, we don't live them for us, but we live them for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, I want to, to, to live as Christ. You see, nothing will be properly understood about living for Christ, though, until you have real faith in Christ and, and, and you, that you have a personal relationship with him. Something that, that isn't going to just necessarily be seen from the outside, but something that, that's, that's true to you on the inside. You, know, that you, you need to understand, every one of us here needs to understand that each of us are sinners. And, and even if we only committed one sin, and all of us have committed a lot more than one, but even if we only committed one sin, that would be enough to separate us from the holy God for all of eternity. And, and since we are sinners, we know that the wages of sin is death. And that's what we deserve because of our sin. But because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, and knowing that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, rose again from the dead to show the victory over death, then we can have faith in Christ and we can move in our relationship with him in a wonderful way. We can understand that there is real forgiveness that is found in Christ. And we need to live in Christ as people that are forgiven for their sins. It's wrong for us to beat ourselves up over sins that we have confessed to God and, and that he has forgiven us for. We need to live lives of forgiven people. The next thing what it means to, to live as Christ is we need to have real fellowship with Christ. We need to have a relationship with Christ on a daily basis that's intimate and it's real. And do you desire to, to spend time with Jesus Christ? Fellowshipping with your Savior. You remember when in, in, in Luke 10 when, when uh, Jesus came and, and Mary and Martha to Mary and Martha's home, and, 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 and Mary sat, and, and she was visiting uh, w with Jesus. And Martha was running around trying to get everything uh, 
just right. And, 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 and she started complaining and saying, you know, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to help me. Well, what Jesus does is, is he commends Mary for taking time and spending time with Christ, fellowshipping with Christ. We need to do that each and every day. We, we don't want to be around, going around so busy that we're not fellowshipping with our Savior. Do you fellowship with Jesus? The other thing, what it means to live for Christ, it means that we're going to follow Christ. We're going to follow Christ anywhere he calls us to be. It can be grand and it can be glorious. But we can't always just stay in those wonderful places of faith and fellowship that, that we enjoy so much. Sometimes Christ calls us to go places that we wouldn't ordinarily go on our own. Sometimes Christ will, will call us to cross-cultural missions. We're sending a team out to Haiti this week. Haiti. This isn't a Caribbean vacation. I mean, this is a rough place. It's hot. It's poor. The message of Satan is loud and clear around this place. But these people are called to go to Haiti. And sometimes God calls us in other ways to places we don't want to go. Sometimes he says, follow me through a job loss. Follow me through the death of a loved one. But if we're going to live, to, to, to live with Christ, then we're going to be willing to follow him no matter where he may call us to go. All right, that's a little bit of what it means to, to, to live as Christ. What does it mean when he says, though, that, that to live as Christ, but to die is gain? You know, it, it's, it's, it's beyond even having a fellowship with Christ here on earth, but, but, but dying is actually better. Now, let me pause here for a second and make sure I'm very clear about this. Paul is writing to Christians here. Paul is writing to Christians. It, if one dies apart from Jesus Christ, upon his death, he is going to meet his creator. And if he is not a believer in Jesus Christ, for the glory of Christ, he will be damned to hell for all eternity for forsaking the forgiveness that was found in Jesus Christ. That ought to motivate us to be men and women that are passionate to share the gospel with other people. But to Christians, Paul writes, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now we often, we all have known somebody at one point in our lives, an, an elderly Christian who has suffered with a terminal disease and, and, and upon their death you know we look at each other and, and, and kind of give that, that wry smile and, and we say well it's actually a blessing that they've died now because well they're not suffering anymore and that's absolutely true it is a blessing and, and they're not suffering anymore but what Paul wants you to know what I want you to know if you're a 30 year old man who's married with three children under the age of six, and you die an instantaneous, painless death. It's a blessing, just like it is for the one who is suffering with a terminal disease. Death as a Christian is better than life here on earth as a Christian. 
when my wife was just a little girl every now and then, not often, but every now and then, their family would have steak night. And, and, but Wendy sometimes would say to her parents, instead of having steak, can I have a frozen pizza? All right, now, all of us, you know, at this point, we understand steak is better than frozen pizza. Wendy understands that also. Uh, you know, steak is better than frozen pizza. But so often in our life here, we settle for the frozen pizza of this world and, and hold on to that and, and, and grasp on to that instead of realizing that, that, that we have a glorious heaven awaiting us when we die. You know, often when we think about heaven, I think part of the reason is that uh, as pastors, we've done a very poor job uh, of uh, really putting any type of of focus out there and any type of of picture out there of of the glories of heaven. You know, often we might talk to somebody about Christ and say, well, you should ask Jesus to be your Savior because when you die, you get to go to heaven. And they'll say, well, what does that mean? And all of a sudden we're lost and we're coming up with things like, well, you get to go to heaven and, and, and worship God for all of eternity. It's like one giant church service that lasts forever. And then we don't understand why people aren't excited about going to heaven. Heaven's so much more than that. Yes, we're going to be worshiping God in a way that we've never understood before. But it's so much more than going to church and having a worship service that lasts for eternity. We don't have time to get into everything, but I want to give you three things to think about heaven as we go this morning. The first one is that upon the death of a Christian, they're going to realize peace like they've never seen before. Death brings a permanent freedom from evil. Think about that. Death brings a permanent freedom from evil. In verse 23, we read, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That that word depart there uh, is a pretty powerful word in in the original language. And and, and it means to to, to get away from, like we would think of a, a ship leaving a shore or soldiers leaving a camp, even a slave being freed from their slavery, even some sort of math problem being solved and moving forward. It's getting away from something that might have been holding us back. And that's what Paul here is saying is, is I desire to depart, to get away from the evils of this world. When we get away, when we die as Christians, we get away from the pain and suffering and heartache that's part of our daily lives in this fallen world. You know, all of us know inside of us that things aren't really quite the way they're supposed to be. Not quite the way that God intends them to be here on earth. Because we weren't created to live in a sinful world. We are created to live in God's glories and in his riches and in his perfect world. When we die, we're instantly 
and permanently removed from the curse of the fall. That's a glorious thing. Second thing I want us to think about is, is we think about heaven, is that we will be reunited with loved ones that have gone before us in, in Christ. You know, all of us have been t- touched by the death of a loved one one way or another. And, and when we have a loved one die, we naturally think more about uh, heaven and, and, and uh, the opportunity to see them again. It's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will minister to us in, in our grieving and, and in our mourning. When we go to heaven, we will be reunited with our, our Christian loved ones that have gone before us. And, and, and that relationship will be more full and more deep than any way we ever experienced it here on earth. I'm as certain as that as I'm as certain that steak is better than frozen pizza. That's the glory that we have waiting for us. Now, the, the last thing that I'm going to get in today, and, and like I said, there's so many more. And if you want a great resource, let me recommend Randy Alcorn. He has a book titled Heaven. It's one of the best theologies on heaven that's been written in the last uh, 50 years, and, and I, I recommend it for your reading. But the last thing I want you to think about upon the death of a Christian and the joy of going to heaven is that we're going to be united with Christ. We're going to be with Jesus Christ. And, and, and sometimes it's hard for us to, to get our minds around, well, what does that mean? You know, uh, we struggle with, even with our fellowship, as we were talking a little bit ago, uh, with Christ now. What does that mean we're going to be united with Christ? Well, the Bible gives us the same imagery of it over and over. And, and, and it's the imagery of a bride with her groom on their wedding day. That, that type of excitement, that type of joy is, is the imagery that, that, that we're given. You know, it's being united with our Savior who loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more joyous will that relationship be when we are in our glorious, glorified state. Now, we might think about some of this, and we might say, that sounds awesome. Uh, Sign me up. I'm ready. I'm tired of the the troubles of this world. I miss my loved ones. I want to be with Christ in a way that I've I've never experienced before. And right when when Paul would have us thinking that way and and thinking about the glories that, that are ours in heaven... Well, he, he writes the rest of the chapter. Pick up with me again in, in verse uh, 24. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul here, though he understands that departing and being with Christ is is better, better by far, he understands that God still has a purpose for him here on earth. And and God has each one of us here right now today. And while we're here, we should do the same thing that Paul is saying here. We should be 
committed to serving Christ, however he's called us to do, right here today. For that's what, where we are and that's what he's called us to be and called us to do. Remember what, what, what Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians, uh, no, to, to, to the church at uh, Colossians uh, chapter 4. He, he said, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Just like you wrote that in Colossians. That should be in our heads also. That we should be making the most of every opportunity for serving the Lord, for being people that are committed to Jesus Christ, that has him centered in our thinking and passionate for his great commission. As we do that, we should live in such a way that we'll encourage one another in Jesus. You know, this is probably the, the, the origin of the, of the old saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You know, this is, this is what Paul's telling us, is, is you're here. You're called to serve Christ. That's why you're here. It's not for our own fame. It's not for our own accumulation of wealth and riches. It's to serve Jesus Christ. We should live lives that bring glory to God. We should be striving to, to, to remove the, the batting helmet over our eyes that keeps us from seeing things the way they're supposed to be. We should have a joyous vision of Christ. We should want to share that with others. And when we do, we're told here that Jesus is glorified. The last few verses give us a, a, a practical uh, way of, of of how this can, can happen, uh, picking up in 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. In these verses, we are called to stand firm in one spirit, as if we were one man. It's a great call to unity. Remember what we said last week. There's no room for me, me, me. Together we stand for Christ for the sake of his gospel. This is what it means to be the rejoicing church. We all have one mind centered on Jesus and and. and, and a heart for his gospel. Ask yourself, because of the power of the gospel, do I strive for unity among my fellow believers? We'll talk more about unity in a few weeks when we get to chapter 2. As believers in Christ, one of the things we're called to do, it's, it's to suffer while we're here on earth. 
Paul makes that very clear. We're going to have hard times. Things are going to not always go just the way we want them to. But Paul ends the chapter reminding us that, that, that we do live in this world with struggles. And you know, we've seen that this week, just, just watching the news. It's a world with infidelity. It's a world with fear of other nations. It's a world with death. But because of Christ, we can see clearly the way that things are supposed to be. And we do not have to fear. And we should go out to the world which is confused and dazed and help them see clearly through the light of the gospel. Let's pray together.